I Luke the 16th chapter beginning with verse 20 oh that's going down to 19 he said there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table moreover the dogs Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died also, and he was buried. See, what part of him was buried? And his body. What part of, of Lazarus was carried into Abraham's bosom? Oh, his spirit. Notice in the 23rd verse, it said, The rich man in hell, he lifted up his what? But if his body was buried, you don't tell me that my spirit man has eyes. I suppose he does. He said, In hell, he lifted up his eyes. So we know that people in hell at least have eyes. Let's see what else they have. And being in torments, well, he has emotions. So the spirit man also has emotions then. And hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And he seeth Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, that Lazarus may dip. Well, we know that people in Abraham's bosom and now in heaven at least have the tip of their finger. So we know the spirit man has Eyes and fingers. Because we don't have any proof there's any more parts to the spirit man. At least we got this much. The spirit man has eyes and fingers. Isn't that amazing? I just love this stuff, don't you? He said, cool my, oh my God. And we know that not only does the rich man have eyes, but he's got a tongue. <laughs> so... The spirit man has a tongue and he has eyes and fingers. Isn't that good? No, actually, my spirit man fits in my body, basically. My hands, cell for cell. In fact, it can break down right now to a, a very basic unit of spirit. If I was to step out of my body and I stand in here, my spirit man, and you could see him and my body was standing here. And my spirit man had hold my finger up. I said, what's this? You'd say, well, that's your finger. Well, what's it made out of? You'd think, oh, well, it, and in my body, I'd say, what's this made of? You'd say, well, that's your finger. What's it made out of? Flesh. What else? Blood. Bone. Can you break it down anymore? Cells. More, please. Compounds. More, please. Cells, compounds, atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons. Have any more? Yeah, it could break down more. But that's as far as we can break it down. Well, now I'm holding this finger up. Spirit finger. What's it made out of? What's it made out of? You say, well, my inner man, it's my spirit man the hidden man of the heart. Yes. When you say, that's my spirit, what are you talking about? See, you say, that's your flesh? 
Or is that you? You say, that's my spirit. Okay, well, now I'm holding my finger up. He's part of my spirit man. So what does it break down? What, what's the basic unit of my spirit finger? Well, there's no way to know. It's made out of a, a substance called spirit. But it fits in my hand. Not just hand for hand, but obviously goes down to a cell for cell, right down to a basic operation in creation. And my spirit man now has authority in this world because it operates through this physical body. So it has authority. When I lift my arm and my spirit man lifts his arm, it lifts my physical arm. I can see out of my eyes, my ears. Everything the spirit man functions through is the physical man, which allows me to operate in this world. Hey, Ronald Cohen, I held his, uh, I held my hand and different things and helped him tape his eye up because he had his eye put out. He didn't have an eye. In fact, he had a plastic eye. When you held the plastic eye up, you couldn't see through it. You could hold it up to light and you could see light through it, but you couldn't see anything else through that eye. I saw it. So he gets ready to demonstrate his miracle because he could see. So he sat there and he could see out of that eye and there's no eye in there. But he could still see. And so he goes and he just pops that eye out and then he holds his socket open so you could see to the back of his socket. Well, you know, I'm right up there and just helped him tape the good eye up, the physical eye. I taped it all up. I helped. I knew he couldn't see out of it. So he... He's looking at me and he gets his driver's license out and he starts reading the fine print and everything on it. And I get right up under him, you know, and I'm looking up and there's nothing in there, no eye or nothing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, it didn't even cross my mind that he could see me. <laughs> but I'm up there just looking real close and he's, he's looking back at me, you know. Horrible, horrible. Just like you get right up to a video camera, your nose gets this wide and you're, so I'm looking, I'm looking at him, he's looking back at me, and I'm thinking, he, he can see, he can read, fine print, and he doesn't have an eye. He does not have an eye. How does he do that? I, then the bigger miracle to me was he took that eye that was not transparent from oblique, he'd pop that back in, he could still see. Yeah, it could put your hand up over it, and you couldn't see. When you put your hand up over that eye, it blocked the vision out. But he could take an eye that he popped in there and see through it. I would think, and that should block his vision. But what God did was a miracle in reverse. He just opened that eye in the spirit where he could see in a natural world. I know people have no eardrums that hear. He did the same thing. But what would be a real miracle is some guy, you know, that had his legs... Cut off. <laughs> Comes walking in, you know, and he's just doing like you're doing and moving around. You go like this. <laughs> okay, I want to get saved. <laughs> I want to get saved. <laughs> I'm going to get saved or go crazy. You know? There's nothing there. 
See, you also have a, a spiritual brain, a spirit brain. <laughs> so some of you should show more, a little, little more sense in the spirit realm. See? Really, he's he is so sensible. <laughs> Sometimes you're not operating out of him when you think you are. But you have a spiritual brain that fits in your natural brain. And he functions through that. We can, we can go deeper, you know, deeper connection between the soul, emotions, bio-programming, which simulates emotions that the spirit's emotions carries itself out in a chemical reaction. That's all that an animal has, is emotions that are based on a chemical reaction. They don't have a spirit that those emotions are manifested out through in a chemical reaction. But we can go as deep into that as you want. It doesn't make any difference to me because the Holy Ghost, he took me and taught me all that in prayer. Taught me how to operate in the spirit. But you have a spiritual brain that fits in your physical brain. Science has isolated it as the subconscious mind. They know it has a lot more ability than the conscious mind. And they haven't, and they've never been able to explore the limitations of it. It just doesn't seem to really have any. Created in God's class, it doesn't seem to forget. So the, the spirit mind has a lot more ability. And it just happens to be that it's your spiritual mind is the part of you the Holy Spirit communicates with. Say, well, Brother Roberson, it feels like he speaks here. My heart. Here. In fact, when men first exhibited the word of knowledge and I wanted it so bad I I think now because it was in part of my calling I just didn't know I'd pester him until wee hours of the morning tell me how'd you hear God again he spoke to my spirit I said could you please get a little more specific uh, he spoke to my spirit well I know that because I know you heard him talk and what you said was right but how did he speak to your spirit my he See, they really didn't know how. They just knew when he did it because they got to know him. You know, it comes way down deep in my, from my spirit. comes way up deep from my spirit. So would you please uh, isolate the approximate region? Does it start just above the belly button area? A little lower it comes up. <laughs> oh, you know, it comes way down deep from within my spirit. It just comes up. And it does seem that way. But because your physical brain houses your spiritual brain, and your subconscious mind, which is your spiritual brain, basically, it seems to be recessed, recessed much, much deeper than the physical level of operation. And it seems to come from the center of your being. So it seems to come from way down here. It's not here. It all stays here. Your mind of your spirit isn't down here. There's no use God, you know, dealing with your belly. <laughs> belly meant center of your being, a power source. So he talks to your spirit, and it seems so deep that it's a deeper level than the physical mind. But see, this is where the actually the baptism of the Holy Spirit basically took place. Of course, he's wall to wall. He's filled you all up. But the mind of the Holy Spirit operates within your spiritual mind. 
doesn't operate somewhere else. And he doesn't speak to you one place one time and another place another time. Excluding, of course, the physical operation when God has to step outside of everything and talk to you from the outside. Hello, <laughs> you little carnal flesh creature that can't be led. Sit down for a minute. So he starts in on you. Did you know, I don't know if I've ever heard, I think I heard his voice one time from the outside. I think that was in a Catherine Coleman meeting. I'd only been to two of them. Two of them in my life. I was sitting on the steps. And somebody called my name three times. I turned around behind me to see, what? What? <laughs> Did you say something? No. I no sooner settled down and then he called it again and he did that three times. Three times, third time. He said, David. I turned around the third time and uh, nobody was there talking to me. Then when I turned back around, that's when he changed and started talking to my spirit. He told me some things that would happen in my future. They haven't happened yet. But I can guarantee you just about where they will begin happening will be here. <laughs> Hallelujah. So he doesn't like to talk, you know, to your outer ear. So when he communicates with your spirit, there's only one place that he communicates. Most of you come under an anointing. So you don't have any trouble knowing that it's him. And you come under an anointing and he begins to talk and you know it's him by merit that you're under an anointing. So one day I'd prayed an extended amount of time in the Holy Ghost. Extended. I don't know how long. But I slipped into the Spirit and I had one of those inner visions and I saw my physical man. There he was in front of me constituted by just a dark form. Obviously, my soul came online next because it was, it was some light to my body, but it wasn't very light. And then comes the spirit man, which fit in all of it, which is very bright, much brighter. And the brain part, the brain part that I could see was very, the center of the mind was very, very bright in the spirit man and uh, and then this real bright area was where the Holy Spirit operated out of. And that's when he taught me the first steps to knowing and how to listen for his voice. Because as I watched, I seen the Holy Spirit actually create and operate out of that place somewhere in the spirit man's mind. Seemed to be back here somewhere. So this is what he had me do. I don't know how, but he moved on me by revelation and had me do this. He said to me, pray in tongues. So I started praying in tongues. Then this strong impulse came to stop. Stop. The moment I shut my mouth, those words didn't come out my mouth. They floated up to my mind. They floated up to the physical part of my mind, my brain. So when I shut my tongue down, they kept coming. In fact, I stopped for a minute and listened, and I could actually hear those words of tongues 
condisco viendosco ramora kinchi. Stop. I could actually hear them being created and come into existence and come up to my mind. I could hear them. So that's when he spoke to me and he says, welcome to my voice. Because the same place I create the words of tongues is also where I capsule a revelation, a whole revelation up. The same as downloading a computer chip with a whole revelation, a mystery on healing, a mystery, the understanding of righteousness, a mystery, a mystery. Then when he's done downloading it with that language, he sends it across to your spirit, that place, and releases the whole revelation at once. And suddenly you understand a whole revelation in a minute milligram of a second. You don't even know how. A moment ago you didn't understand it. Suddenly the whole thing dawned upon you. It takes me sometimes a month to preach what I got in one milligram of a second. So then when you're praying in tongues, he creates those tongues in the same place. Most of the time you don't hear them because the way you're created is the moment they're created, they seize a hold of your tongue and they, your tongue forms the linguistics then for the word that was created in your spirit. So if it comes out your mouth, it doesn't come up to your mind. It's a diversion, a gate that takes it right out. So if you shut your mouth, it will come up to your mind. It won't come up very long because what activates it is when your tongue lets it out that gate. That's the same as a siphon. It'll keep one sentence after another. But if you shut your mouth, eventually it will stop. Not only will it stop, but you'll have to force yourself to keep trying to pray silently in the spirit because it will float up to your mind. And if you're forcing yourself to do that with your mind, then your mind cannot do anything else because those words of tongues will float up to your mind and occupy your mind so it can't think about nor can it do anything else if you don't let the tongues out the gate. You hear me? So the same place that he spoke tongues in my spirit, man, and I hear him, if I stop, it comes up to my mind. It comes from down here somewhere, it feels like. It actually comes forward, comes forward, and I hear the tongues. But see, I've isolated that place from I don't know how many hours of prayer. It doesn't really matter. But I've isolated the ear of the Spirit, if you'll allow me. I've isolated it. And he can stop with the tongues and start speaking English. Or God can stop me and my mind quiets down. And when it quiets down, my physical mind opens up to the Spirit. When it does, I know he's ready to talk to me. So he'll start talking in English but the English will come into existence in the same place. I know it's him because I've come familiar with that from hundreds of hours of tongues coming from the same place. So I know it. And I know where that voice comes from and I know the difference between that voice and the mental energy when I'm thinking of something. I know the difference. Well, there's a question arises. Question. Is praying in tongues silently? <laughs> Is praying in tongues silently, you know, just sitting there? Praying just inside, not moving my tongue, nothing, just trying to pray inside? 
even though there's no ironclad scripture against it, all the other ones that mention praying in tongues or speaking with tongues always connect an utterance with it. And I have found when I lock my tongue up that it stops. The tongue seems to finish the sequence. It doesn't matter whether I'm praying quietly. Because after I just about exhausted my vocal cords, I decided to give that a try. Besides, I got tired of people turning me in at motel rooms and beating on the room walls. <laughs> so I decided to give it a try. So I started praying like this. Just not using my vocal cords. But it still finished the circuit. And that tongue that's connected to that language was able to deliver the sequence. And when it did, then comes the next phrase. And the next phrase, if I stop it, I have to concentrate with mental energy. And, uh, and faith and the Holy Spirit activates the language in me. And if it is not allowed to finish the sequence, because the tongue's connected to it, it generally just stops. I have to exert a lot of mental energy to try to keep it going. Therefore, I can't even use my mind for anything else because it floats up into my mind and occupies it. So, no. No, I don't think that trying to pray with tongues in your mind and in your heart without finishing the sequence is effective. No, I don't. That's why he's connected utterance with it. Well, can we... And we look at just a little bit. Go to 1 Corinthians 14. I notice 14, 14 and 14. For if I, Dave Roberson, or Paul, pray in an unknown tongue, my, whose spirit's doing the praying? Whose? My, would you go as far to say human spirit? For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my human spirit, prayeth. But at that point, he said, my understanding is unfruitful. So if it's my human spirit that's doing the praying, and it says that it is, then there has to be a transference of that language from the Holy Spirit to your spirit. And that transference is made at the moment of creation. In other words, praying in tongues is as supernatural as raising the dead. The Holy Spirit literally creates that language on the inside of your spirit. He literally, at the point of creating it, transfers it to your spirit. If I, Dave Roberson, pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit. He said, the same man speaketh not unto men, because it's not a language to be interpreted for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's for my own edification. It is for the mysteries to be understood by me that I'm praying. And I eventually will understand them when I'm finished praying them out. And he says, when I, Dave Roberson, pray in an unknown tongue, it is my spirit praying. My understanding's unfruitful. So at the moment that I'm sending these hours in prayer, most of the time, my, my mind, my brain, I don't understand the vowels and the syllables that I'm speaking. I don't have any idea what I'm saying. A lot of times for five and six hours of prayer. Sometimes 
Sometimes he will begin a translation process, me understanding the mystery, that while I'm praying, while I'm praying, it's being translated in my mind. So my mind is performing one function while my spirit's doing another. It's receiving the language and the translation of it. I don't know word for word per se, but mysteries begin to unfold to me, just one after another after another when my teacher kicks in. Now, I'm glad my mind is unfruitful at the point that I spend six hours in prayer because I found out first I was unsure, but now I'm solid sure that I can employ my mind to take in the Word of God while my spirit's praying. So I'll sit here, and it's so automatic now when I pick my Bible up. I began to read, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, not anything made that was made. In Him was life. Life was the light of the Word. Light shineth in darkness. Not the sky. <laughs> How far? Well, I don't know. I'll pick it up and I'll just start reading. Oh, my favorite thing is to take you know, Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians just read those books over and over and over while I'm praying in tongues. Maybe eight times, ten times, twenty times, maybe eight hours. Sola Koramaske. One of my favorite methods of doing it is I'll walk back and forth, you know, and then I'll sit in the chair maybe pray an hour or two. I lay on the floor, and then I'll get to walking and praying. And, and my Bible will be somewhere where I can go over and look at it. And I'll go over in just one setting. I'll read Ephesians, you know, all the way through. And I'll go pray for a while, walk back, and go back and just read the whole thing through again. And I'll go back and just read the whole thing through again. And just read. I'm glad that two parts of me can take in from God at the same time. See, and then the Holy Spirit will take all that that I've meditated into my mind through accumulated knowledge and he will use it for the day and night meditation process. This is where much of our revelation knowledge comes from. See, he said, my spirit prayeth. My spirit. And at that point, my understanding is unfruitful. Now, if I'm in church, he said, I need to pray that I interpret. And I ask God, okay, you're transferring it to my spirit. And it says, I'm not speaking to men, I'm talking to God. Now, why, why are you transferring this to my spirit, Holy Spirit? And I'm talking to the other members of the Godhead. Because in this language, which is designed for you personally, there's nothing any closer to your life than this language. You can't get any closer. It is the mind of God, his plan for you all the way through Romans 8. He that searches the heart knows the mind of God successfully then makes intercession for you according to the will of God. Then we could know all things work together for the good. Them that love God are called according to his purpose. Why? Because he's working that plan. And then he goes in for the proof. He says, for those he foreknew before the cross, he predestinated to the cross. He's just going back and showing you God's whole plan from one end to the other and saying the Holy Spirit's involved in it. He's the one that knows the plan of God for you. So in order for you to be able to be the one praying with authority, as he said, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, therefore you go. And that statement was a transference of authority. So the Holy Spirit gave the language to you 
He transferred it to your spirit. Now it's you praying. Now it's you, therefore you go. Now you're praying out of your authority to the other two members of the Godhead. And I might say, you're praying somewhat of a perfect prayer, much less keeping it up for six hours. What are you, a glutton for success? After a little punishment? <laughs> Surely one member of the Godhead is creating the perfect prayer and the others are answering it. God, I mean, here you're sandwiched between the Godhead, Holy Spirit here, you here, and the other two members here. And he's creating the prayer. You're praying it, they're receiving it, and answering it. So if I pray in an unknown tongue, my human spirit's actually doing the praying because he transferred that language to my spirit and created on the inside. He's creating it, you know, in that place of the spirit. The moment he creates it, what finishes the sequence once again, at the moment he creates it, your tongue shapes it. It's spontaneous. One is not without the other. To shackle your tongue will stop the process. So when I whisper in tongues, you know, it's automatic. I start reading, I start praying. <laughs> in fact, it's so automatic sometimes. <laughs> you know, I start reading something in public, <laughs> you know, airplane magazine or something. <laughs> so I pray under my breath. Nobody can hear me usually. Sometimes I lock my jaw, lock my teeth, and my tongue. It's free in my mouth. But it seems to need that much to finish the sequence, to keep the siphon hose flowing. Well, let's go on to what Paul said about it. Hallelujah. Let's go on from the 14th verse on down to 18. This is Paul talking, and you might as well know that Paul earned the illustrious reputation from all the other apostles of having more revelation knowledge, having more foundation, having... He had the respect of the others. Let me give you one of his keys. The first one was he, when he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he began memorizing the Old Covenant for seven hours a day beginning at the age of three. Seven hours a day. Seven hours a day. He memorized the Old Covenant. Well, that was one ingredient. After he was filled with the Holy Ghost, it was obvious that he prayed in tongues probably the backside of the desert, anywhere he was, more than anyone. Makes a statement like that. Since then, I found out that that was a major source of revelation knowledge because of all the mysteries he prayed. It brought the Old Covenant together with the New, and as far as I can see, he was about the only one of the apostles that thoroughly understood the relationship between the law and our covenant and the law of the Spirit of life, which, which was a, a revelation that's just absolutely almost unheard of. It's commonplace to you now. But let's say you go nowhere and get it, nowhere to get it, and then go get it. His revelation knowledge was equivalent in detail 
to Moses's when he received the measurements and the different facets of the temple and the law and all that kind of thing. Going on, I speak with tongues or in the supernatural language that encompasses the mysteries of God more than you all. But then again, he was teaching divine order in church, so look what he added on. They were misusing tongues. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in church. Here we are. In church, in an active service, where we're having a meeting with the lost and the unlearned and the learned and believers, where we're touching the world, where evangelism goes on. Yet in church, I had rather speak five words with my understand that by my voice I might teach others also. He said, yet in church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice, that is the language I speak, I might teach others. Now, did you notice this word also? And I think if I was going to circle or underline anything, it'd be that word, also. He says that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in the unknown tongue. Right, the unknown tongue is uh, it's the one that's used in your prayer language because it's, it's not even the one to be interpreted in a public assembly. So they, they call it the unknown. Now what's he saying here? In this 18th and 19th verses, you get two things here. You get the operation of Paul, his praying in tongues. You get that operation and how it benefited the church. And one, you get a glimpse at his private prayer life. In his private prayer life, he said this, I thank my God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. But then he gave the use of that tongues in church. He says, but in church, I would rather speak five words in the language that we communicate in so others may understand also than 10,000 words in the unknown tongue. And this is what he was saying. He was saying, from praying in the Holy Ghost, I received a revelation. I became edified. So I understand the revelation. But if you're going to understand it also, then I can't stand up here and communicate it to you in tongues. I'll have to translate that mystery to English that you may also understand the revelation that I have received. He said, so that I may teach others also what well, he had to be taught first. And the subject was tongues. And he says, outside of church, this is my personal prayer habits. I pray more than all of you. But inside church, it wouldn't do me any good to stand up and speak those tongues to you. How would I teach you what he's taught me? But if I convert that mystery to your understanding, which is just a matter of the teaching gift coming and any mystery in me, he can pull out. As you, have you seen, I don't have to stop, really. He can tap one after another and pull it out because they've been deposited. So if you're going to understand also then the operation of tongues in church is for me to give you the mystery that I received outside of church. 
said, that is our source. How God opened that verse up to me was this way. Just just the funniest thing, because I'd been praying, I kept looking at that, and I said, there's there's something in here I'm not getting. And I kept praying and praying and praying, he just spoke just one statement. He said, time, time, how long it would take you to pray those tongues, 10,000 words. Time it. He said, time it. (laughs) said, what an unusual statement, time it. So I did. I did it like a jogger. You know how you run, your pulse gets up there, and you 10 seconds, one, two, three, four, five, five, times six. 10 seconds times six. <laughs> 230. <laughs> I'm out of shape. <laughs> so I prayed. You know, I prayed for a certain amount of time, timed it, then I began multiplying. So I just prayed at an average rate, like I always do. So, Nakaramoso, Korishandis, Kedamorama, Kendosa, Lavora, Tukosoma. So I basically counted the words. And I found out that 10,000 words is just roughly one hour and a half. So what he was doing, he was taking the length of a service, about an hour and a half. And what he was saying is it wouldn't do me any good to stand up here for the length of the service and speak the tongues. He says, but if I speak it in the language we communicate, in the mystery that I receive, then you will also understand the mystery that I have received. Hallelujah, Jesus. So let's just go on a little bit more. We'll be done pretty soon. Amen? What do you prefer to read? When I'm praying in tongues, I only almost like to read the Bible. You can, and occasionally I will read something, but the more the Holy Ghost teaches me, sometimes the less I trust <laughs> the material that I get into. I, and I'll, I'm, I'll be taught, I mean, my God, I'm teachable. It just has to be the Holy Spirit. I'll take it from a five-year-old. Just got to be him. I can't abide the other anymore. I can, but I don't know why I do it. <laughs> I can't give myself a good reason. So let's go on here. In the 27th verse, again, still talking about excelling to a place where the church is edified by your operation of tongues and prophecy. He says, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be two or by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him, that is the one that had the message, had the tongues, keep silence in church, and let him speak to who? Now what do you suppose he would be saying? What was the subject here? There was no interpreter. Don't speak the tongues out. We're talking about public assembly with the unlearned and the sinners and things present. This is a different kind of assembly. You come here knowing this is a prayer meeting. Come here knowing that we're going to pray in tongues. You know that. There's a lot of teaching going on around in here. People will be filled in different things. This isn't a public service where people come in, don't know each other hardly, and sit down in chairs. Here we go. So he says, 
if there's interpreters present, you know, then that, let him speak by course and let a man interpret him. But if there is no interpreter, he said, let him keep silent as far as speaking out. Sondo sokalamasa. Not like that. But let him speak to himself and to God. So that speaking to himself and to God is that he is speaking in a very low tone, just like we was talking about. That he himself can hear. But once again, he's completing the circuit. He's completing the circuit simultaneously with the creation of that language in your spirit. Your tongue forms the language. And when you speak it out, it releases it. And he forms the next sentence and the next and the next. If you stop your tongue, you have taken half the sequence away. That's why he said, let him speak to himself and to God. So that's what he's doing. So he is speaking to himself in the unknown tongue. And he that prays in the unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. So now his spirit has entered into a divine communication with God. And he is speaking this language to himself under his breath. Nobody else around is to hear it. But of course here, there came this teachings out the warring tongues. You know, you got to do that warring tongue, and that's, all of that's very fine, you know. What we're trying to do is add our authority to his prayer. It's, it's okay. You won't do that ten hours, you won't have any tonsils left. Your, your voice will go, and you, you'll go, A lot of times people will come, and they start, <laughs> about eight or nine hours later, it looked like the rest of you. See, you can add your authority to what he's doing if you want to. You know, by a lot of emphasis. It's a warring tongue. What are you warring? Well, I'm warring against the devil. Really? I thought it said you was talking to God. He that prays in unknown tongue speaks not unto men but unto God. Yes, but I'm talking to the devil. No, you're not. He took that prayer language away from you because you're so stupid. Well, you, what do you think he leaves your mind up, Mr. Mess Up? He leaves your mind out because you don't know who you're talking to. That's why he can take a failure and make a success out of them because eventually, if you let him pray long enough, he'll get through to you. He'll get through to you. And I think, to be quite honest with you, that's about the only chance that weird people has. And you know what weird people are. They operate on another plane. They don't really mean to, but their left foot is always out front. All the other salmon are going downstream. All the other salmon are going upstream. They're going down. They go, oh, I did not notice. <laughs> They're always doing something that's out of the flow of the Holy Spirit, just about always. So as far as I'm concerned, many of these people have sat in church all their life. And I'm not saying this lightly. I have a deep-seated concern. Because if I can find somebody that God wasn't sufficient for, you know, if I can find one person he wasn't sufficient for, he couldn't take them out of it. 
then I can't go as far as I want. But I've never found one that he couldn't if they'll do what he says. Because eventually he'll get through to you. That's one whole reason he took it away from your mind. It's because you'd, you'd be praying for, for things that just... <laughs> God had just locked the door, you know. But he took it away from you because the Holy Spirit knows what you need desperately much, much more than you do. Much, much more. Now, we, we form our prayers according to our own reasonings and what we think we need. You see, he's with God from the beginning. He's seen him plan your life. He knows what's better for you. That's why he says when he prays, you can be promised edification. <laughs> but when you get in there, sometimes he can't promise you much. In fact, some of you found that out by how many prayers that you have answered. <laughs> Moving right along now. So I've seen people and I wondered, is there any hope? But then I've seen them. I've seen them come online. And after a year or two praying, three maybe, you walk up to them and they start talking about things of the Spirit and balanced and what they used to think was God, was it? Was the devil and weird things? It's, it's fallen off and I'm going... There is a God. <laughs> there is a God in heaven. This is greater than the Red Sea. I mean, anybody can part water. But if God could have just got Adam saved, he'd just dusted him off and slammed him down and said, don't you ever do that again. But he couldn't. He couldn't even come in that way. He had, it took 4,000 years. He had to carefully undo See, God isn't that sovereign, do as I please, and slap you around. So this is amazing to me. This is it's harder than parting the Red Sea to deal with somebody's nature. Hard thing. So I found that people will come online. They will. I've seen the Holy Ghost change them. When I was a habitual liar, and it kind of uh, followed me across the born-again line. Just a little. At first, my conscience was seared by the fact I wanted to be greater in people's eyes than I was. Well, I could fix that quick. <laughs> Just tell them a lie, I'm great. <laughs> but then you start praying in the Holy Ghost enough. Man, pretty soon, pretty soon he'll start dealing with that. It hurts you so bad, you just want to lay down and die. You just can't get by with it. He follows you around all the time and, and hounds you. You've got one choice. Stop praying and keep lying, or stop lying and keep praying. The two will not live together. So you're in for some exciting times. Many of you will jump up and leave over an emotional fit. That'll be a stronghold. He'll want to take you out before you get past it so you'll spend the rest of your life floundering. So with this one last back into prayers kind of statement. In the lineup of the eight operations of God, the callings, apostle, prophet, teacher, 
Workings of miracles, gifts of healings, which encompasses evangelists and pastor. That's four and five. Helps in governments is six and seven. The eighth operation is the prayer ministries of the diversities of tongues, beginning with edification for born again on to all the different diversities then of supernatural tongues. But did you notice in that, that apostle, prophet, and teacher, that the gift of the teacher took priority over the workings of miracles? Because these gifts are listed, first he has placed in the body. They're listed as uh, most necessary and uh, in divine order is the easiest way to say it. So as you go down through those priorities, he says, uh, teacher, the teaching gift, and then workings of miracles, then ministries of healings, ministries of workings of miracles and ministries of healings. The reason the teacher took priority over it is because the teaching gift is, uh, it's supposed to teach by example. In other words, a teaching gift is not really qualified unless it not only has the workings of miracles, but is able to teach the understanding of those miracles from having them. Now, you don't get in a double-yoked airplane. You're taking your solo. Your plane goes into a nosedive. You, you yell to the instructor, take the yoke. That's why there's two of them. He says, man, my God, I don't, Fly this thing, I just teach on it. You going down? I sure appreciate if you're going to teach me about miracles if you worked in them. I, there's a priority there. Teacher, because teacher's supposed to encompass the workings of miracles to be empowered by them, plus many more. And then on to the prophet and on to the apostle. See, this is why the, the, the devil hates the prayer center. For years, I made this journey alone, trying to exhort people to go. They wouldn't. I'd go back to the church. Nobody left. Not of the 200 we excited into prayer, or three or four. Nobody left. Go back the next year, excite 400 more. Nobody left the next year. So he commissioned me to stop here. He says, you've taken other people's sheep as far as you can. You're ready to learn some things. I want you to take some people into this. I understand what he's doing. I could go by myself. I could. And whenever God sees whatever, and we come into something. In the visions, I've seen buildings and things. I don't really like to get into it that often. But I've seen buses and I've seen... Holy Spirit wing tipping the whole crowd and miracles and salvations. Then I pack my bag up and go home. See, that's one thing because I'm not there as the teacher to not only do that, but to teach you. And the devil knows if he doesn't kill us real soon, get rid of the prayer center that we might be multiplied. There might be a thousand of us. And if God sees, you know, it's a type of mantle like we talked about, the glory pours out and 10,000 saved. And see, not only that, but with the teaching gift, guess what? 
I understand the mysteries. Guess what? There'll be a chance that a thousand of you will be out in different cities across the nation. He's not just killing me. He's trying to kill you. So it's the workings of miracles. Yes, I can pack my bag up and go. It's great. But the teaching gift, that means that I can transfer the same thing into you. And there could be a multiplication tables. Oh, my God. Spelling trouble for the devil. Real bad trouble. So the devil would like it a whole lot better if we just went and worked miracles and packed my bag up and got quiet and went home. Oh, he hates it when you jump up and say, do this, do this, do this. Then the devil has to go to his whole war machine, expend a lot of little low-level devils and a whole lot of energy to corral you and bring you back under control. And the more anointed we get, the worse it gets on him. The more we mess him up. All right. We'll let you go back. I'd feast my eyes on the Bible mostly. I'm praying in tongues. I would enjoy myself spending the whole day on a book. You know, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Philippians. Those four I like to read over and over and over again. What I'm talking about because they all say almost the same thing. But just take one of those and say, whoa, I'm going to give my day to this one. And take another one. Take another one. Pretty soon, chapters will come together. Chapter over here. Chapter over here. Chapter over here. Did you know second chapter of Ephesians says the same thing? Second Corinthians, fifth chapter. When he talked about abolishing the enmity in the flesh and the middle wall of partition was torn down, making of two twain, one new man henceforth. He says, uh, neither Jew nor Greek. Did you know that it says the same thing when it says, old things passed away, all things become new. Any man being Christ, he's a new creation. Henceforth, no, no man after the flesh who knew Christ after the flesh. Henceforth, know him no more. The old thing that passed away was the old covenant. Henceforth, know we no man after the flesh who knew Christ. That meant there is no more knowing a man through his flesh or his bloodline, his heritage. Jew, Greek, Scythian, doesn't matter. He says, for he's abolished the enmity, the petition, and made of all nations one new man in the new creation of Christ Jesus. You see, you won't pick them things up until thoroughly you have deposited the book of Ephesians. And you're over there, you go, where have I heard this before? I'll stand up and let's worship him in another song.